guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever, and on this episode we are rejoined by Matt Wilson. How's it going? Doing well. Thanks guys for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Uh, and by the way, this is Quincy. So, <laughs> yep. um, what have you, Matt, what have you been up to since the last time we talked? Well, it has been a while. I'm not sure what all has happened since then. Uh, more than likely, I've had a book come out. Uh, like a, a novel. It's called Supreme Villainy. It's the life story of the world's greatest supervillain, King Oblivion, PhD. Excellent. And uh, also, within a week of us recording this, uh, I started a new comic series. It's a five-issue mini-series about every possible disaster happening at once. It's called Everything Will Be Okay. I also started like three new podcasts. So that was cool. That was a cool idea. Oh my god, there's so much happening. Why talk when you can't have it like posted online for people to? Yeah, listen I've to? decided to commodify all my speech. <laughs> exactly. So, I, listen, the content must flow. Um, specifically on everything will be okay. Like, I immediately my question with that was like, do the natural disasters start start sort of canceling each other out and kind of neutralizing each other, or is it just like, nope, everything's fucked? The latter. Um, it's. They good, they good. compound on each other. Um, if you have picked up the first issue on Comixology, you've seen kind of the aftermath of all the disasters. I can promise that issue two really digs into what exactly happened and and sort of how all those disasters compounded on uh, on each other. I'll I'll give this much. The there's a big two page splash in issue two where our two lead characters emerge from a swampy wilderness to find that city that you know is in a swamp Denver <laughs> just the literal swamp city of Denver that's right it, that's so yes. exciting oh yeah I, I think it's so like to to be a little um you know effusive I just love so much that the series starts with the world blowing up and the and and i think it's anya's like yeah that's not a big deal it's already fucked and and she's like no but we need to watch it happen and it's like welcome to my comic book the world is gone yeah i a couple things about that one um it is interesting to me that i've seen some uh well but what but really just one review Talking about how, like, oh, I'm surprised that it started like this. Because I was expecting to see more of the disasters at the beginning. But I kind of wanted to start with the reaction. So that you could go back and right. see, you know, what they're reacting to. Why these people are so on edge. Why, you know, at least one character has a sort of nonchalance about the world blowing up. Partially... I mean, mainly it's been planned for several years that they were going to do this. But right. the other thing is, like, I definitely had this idea in my head of, like, okay, I am doing what Hitchhiker's Guide did. Uh, am I willing to allow myself to do that? And, I mean, right. the answer is yes, because Hitchhiker's Guide is <laughs> doing it for, like, completely satirical purposes to talk about, like, bureaucracy. Like, intergalactic right. bureaucracy this is about just like cutting your losses 
So I thought it was different enough that I could get away with it. You know, I, I love the I love the idea. Of like, listen, sometimes it's not worth it. You know, like you think it is, and then you just you kind of have to cut sling load. Yeah, exactly. So, what really grabbed me in issue one is the relationship between the main characters Edgar and Anya, and how genuine it felt. Um, how did you? How you write so good? <laughs> how do you write? <laughs> Uh, I, I think it starts with that brother-sister relationship, at least, with kind of grounding it in these key characteristics of the two characters and the notion that they've known each other for their entire lives. So they know how to deal with their overarching characteristics or the things that are kind of most instantly evident about them. Like... Edgar is maybe a little bit not overbearing, but he's a, he wants to play by the rules, right? He's a character who clearly wants to do things the right way. And right. Anya is somebody who's only interested in the things that interest her. And okay. if something doesn't interest her, then she kind of doesn't have time for it. She's almost too smart for her right. own good is how I tend to think of Anya. So that sort of sibling relationship, like once I've established those characteristics, I feel like those character voices just sort of naturally emerge. Like once I know what those two characters want, I can play them off each other in a way where they clearly love each other. They clearly have this long relationship where it seems like they're the most important person in in each other's lives, but Mm -hmm. there's a clear, also clear difference in point of view. And they just understand that they have this difference and have ways to work with it and work around it. And and that, that sort of creates the dynamic. Now I have to ask you, uh, you have a egg like alien that is, from outer space and is parasitic. How much were you thinking about aliens when you uh, scripted this comic? And how much of that is Rodrigo uh, just kind of doing his own thing? To be perfectly honest, aside from there being a space egg, which is (laughs) an alien thing, it's not necessarily grounded in that too much. Um, certainly Rodrigo made it look like a space egg, even though it is probably 40 times larger than the, the eggs in alien or aliens. Um, you know, it's hard to say that there wasn't probably some influence even subconsciously of those Mm -hmm. movies in a, a comic about a space station in crisis, uh, with, with some, entity on it that the the people on the space station don't understand and can't um, really necessarily even comprehend. I will say you'll see the second issue goes back to earth and almost entirely takes place on earth. The third issue comes back to the space station and explores more of the aftermath of issue one. And you'll see how differently it plays out uh, from, from aliens. So there may be some influence there, but it's it's going to take a 
take a turn on you. It's going to veer in a different direction. I can I can guarantee it. Excellent. Well, well, and of course, with Aliens, I feel like that's one of those movies that um, when you show it to somebody who hasn't really seen Aliens, I feel like they, they sort of like, wow, this movie is really cliched. And you sort of have to go like, well, I mean, the reason that's a cliche is because of Aliens. Yeah, it, this this is the movie that invented those things. So, Right. Hey, let's talk about a movie that invented nothing and in fact <laughs> rips off everything whole cloth, the Jurassic game. <laughs> oh, boy. What a segue. Yeah, that was actually actually I'm I'm impressed. Well done. That was a very good segue. Um, yeah, oh. it's it's definitely a like take no prisoners, put the guests in an awkward position, only to segue into a shitty movie that we've made the guests watch. <laughs> oh man! I, all right. So, is there a term, or should there be a term for sort of straight to VOD? Um, sort of vampires suck levels of sort of like, well, we're cashing in on a thing that people already know and it's a shameless ripoff and it's very bad. I mean, it's a mockbuster. I think that's the term. Oh, is that what but that is? this is like Mockbuster is too generous for Well this it's movie. it's it's like a like a tossed salad of mockbusters. Right? <laughs> a mock up? Yeah, yeah, it's a mo- mashup of a mock up? Because it's it's Jurassic World it's mm-hmm. the Hunger Games, but it's not even really the Hunger Games. I mean, it obviously is supposed to be the Hunger Games, but it re- yes, more than the Hunger Games, it reminds me of the WWE Studios original film, The Condemned. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect intersection well, that's going of... on the Netflix queue. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It. Yeah. I. I, I think my 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 main problem with um, Jurassic Games is I I feel like I I don't know if I all right. I don't know if I'm expecting too much from it, but I was expecting it to sort of riff on things, and I feel like it doesn't even do that. So, okay, if you're not familiar with the movie The Condemned. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen The Condemned. I've seen uh, 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 12 Rounds. Uh, this is nothing like 12 Rounds. But it's exactly <laughs> like The Condemned. The Condemned is a movie where Stone Cold Steve Austin mm-hmm. is a convicted killer. Awaiting sure. the death penalty. He is taken to a remote island where he is forced to fight nine other condemned killers on TV. So it's the running man? It's I mean, it all comes back to the running man, right? Right. But yeah, yeah it's the tonic core. But it's it's the condemned is not futuristic in the way that the running man is, and it this movie feels more like that. This movie, however, does not have the world famous line. Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from a little fishing town in Alaska. It's called Fuck Your Mama. <laughs> Imagine Stone Cold Steve Austin saying that. Holy shit! I this is because mostly with Stone Cold Steve Austin, like I, I, what was that thing he was in where he like tries busting a pool cue over somebody's head? I mean, that it, it could be anything. Yeah, really. that, that could um, be any number of things that Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> would be in. Children's movies. Whoa, Randy Orton's in the sequel. The Condemned 2? I, I have oh, not no. seen The Condemned 2. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I, yeah, I, I I've kind got of... good slash bad news for you. <laughs> yeah, it depends on how you feel about news and also Randy Orton. Um, but, yeah, I, Jurassic Games... Uh, what, I'm sorry, what year did this come out again? This came out this year. No, it no. is brand new. We actually, this is a screener provided to us from High Octane Pictures slash Boiling Point Media slash Uncorked Entertainment. <laughs> Thanks, guys. This is 2018 
I don't know if this is released yet by recording of this. I think it's either just now on VOD or at the end of the month it's on VOD. That's... Okay, it came out the 21st of May. That, so That's literally like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, this is like the new one of the newest movies we could possibly talk about. And yet I feel like I don't hate this movie as much as I hated Jurassic World somehow. Like this movie knows that it's straight to VOD schlock in a way that Jurassic World kind of didn't know it was. Wow, that's that's like double barrels straight out of the gates. <laughs> harsh pra- harsh criticism of uh Jurassic World. Yeah. Jurassic World. Yeah, I although that's all right. Let's let's dig into the movie. The plot is literally just yeah, dinosaurs with Hunger Games. Yeah, it's it's condemned criminals have to be in a most deadly game. Except it's all virtual reality, so it's also the Matrix. See, but now that you've mentioned Stone Cold Steve Austin, I, I keep thinking back to, if you listen to his podcast, for a while there, he was, like, at loggerheads with this one raccoon that was on his property at the Broken Skull Ranch that he was just evermore trying to remove from various places. And now this is just making me wish for Stone Cold Steve Austin being like, so anyway, I got this goddamn carnosaur that won't get out of my crisper drawer. And he's just like <laughs> screaming about being beset by dinosaurs I, and being Stone Cold Steve Austin. If Stone Cold Steve Austin had been the lead actor in this movie, I I certainly would have given it an extra star. Uh, like in the yeah, IMDb yeah. 10, star, 10 star scale. Um, as it is, the lead actor in this... Um, is like is like a talk about mashing things up. He's like if oh, you yeah. took Gerard Butler and Rob Riggle and <laughs> and put him in a fly accident, right? Yeah, you, you brundle fly him together, and it, yeah, you're completely right. Um, and he also doesn't speak for like the first half hour of the movie, which is good and bad. But you, you brought up Jurassic World. I think if we're going to compare this movie to Jurassic World, I, I'll, gi- I'll give this to Jurassic Games over Jurassic World. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I would agree. I, Jurassic Games has a sense of morality about it. I wouldn't say it's not mean-spirited, because it is mean-spirited. Much oh, like sure. Jurassic World is. But Jurassic World like kind of doesn't know who's good and who's bad. It just puts the camera in yeah. front of somebody and says, there's your good guy. The Jurassic Games makes it very clear from the get-go, this guy who is innocent and whose kids are begging him to survive is going to be, mm. like, the only semi-redeemable character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at the very least, we don't have to watch, like, some random person get juggle murdered by, ter- like, pterodactyls for five straight minutes. No, you just you, like you nope. see very rudimentary uh, T Rex eating a person animations a few times, <laughs> which I appreciate. It's sort of like yeah, it's like listen, we don't really have Ray, Har- uh, Ray Harryhausen anymore, so now this is the logical successor to that. I think what's frustrating is this movie was probably cheaper to make than Carnosaur, mm-hmm. and that and. That's so frustrating, given the quality of both of them. <laughs> yeah, I got a very, I, I got a very, um, like Kurt Cameron left behind vibe to yeah. the the production quality of the movie. 
Like, it's not a Christian movie, but it feels like one. <laughs> oh. Yes. Like, you think it's probably a church, just like... <laughs> Just like in those Kirk Cameron movies, like the um, Fireproof. Have you all have you all ever seen oh. Fireproof? Oh, I've seen Fireproof. You know how Fireproof just feels like that was the funny guy at church. Like everyone knows, you know, funny Ryan that goes to that, church, right? And like they said, put him in a scene where he eats some. Hot that is sauce, exactly what Fireproof they literally is. Literally did the way. that. That is exactly what Fireproof is. Everybody except yeah. Kirk Cameron in that movie is the member is a member of a church in Georgia. So what, you're say- so what you're saying is that Jurassic Games needed 100% more Kevin Sorbo and 100% more Christian Parable. I, I, or just Kirk Cameron. I think if yeah. Kirk Cameron was the lead... Actually, if Kirk Cameron was the lead uh, protagonist of this and the whole movie was dinosaurs aren't real because evolution is not real mm-hmm. so that's why they're in a computer game like i'd be much more into it this would be movie. a point oh. of view yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean you could do like nancy thompson at the end of nightmare on elm street if you like you know you're you're cornered by a velociraptor and then you just sort of you know you know you give it the steely expression and you say like i take back every bit of power i gave you believing in evolution and then the velociraptor just like <laughs> no and just sort of melts yeah and the dinosaur is just like d- disappear yeah you just instead needed a, you, of you, like the nihilistic here's a bobo dino rider at the end of this movie yeah you just you just fucked. you just need to affirm christ and deny evolution and you could have lived and there's like yeah yeah this god i now that you mention it it does feel like a christian movie but almost without the sort of i want to you know have friends over to watch this because i i don't want to watch this with anyone well it's boring. it's it's it mm-hmm. breaks the cardinal rule. It it commits the the most grievous sin, which is being boring. And mm-hmm. like you talked about the budget, I think evidence of this movie being like extraordinarily low budget is not just the production value, but also the fact that we should make it clear to the listeners not all of this movie takes place in like a big battle arena that has dinosaurs in it. Oh no. There are different stages to the game. One of which puts them in a room where they have to solve a maze on a TV. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds anticlimactic when you put it like that. Like, they go to a video arcade. In front of their eyeballs. Yes. They go to the barcade and play the new maze game. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how you fucking deal with budgetary uh, restrictions. Is just have people, wa- have people watch TV. It's like backstage segments in WWE where you sort of have people cheat out toward the camera and watch a TV backstage and you watch them watching TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only only it's, it's dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, like, my primary complaint with everything is that it doesn't have enough Kevin Sorbo um, emoting at me. Um, so if you, All right, so uh, my question for both of you. What is your one solution for making this movie not boring? Steve Austin. (laughs) Very good choice. Very good choice. Yeah. I mean, I I think the solution is the running time of this movie is 86 minutes. Um, I, so it feels like forever. It feels like much longer. I, I don't necessarily want to suggest cutting this movie to the bone anymore, but like I, it would have to be, more action more of 
being in this arena with dinosaurs because Hunger Games is just one stage, right? Like it, it doesn't they don't go to different places and do different things. They're all in one battle arena through the whole thing. So you got to do that and also get rid of some of the subplots that end up being nothing. Because the whole subplot with the two brothers, like making that alliance yeah. with the like, I'm not sure if it's offensive Hispanic guy or not. Like, you talking about the, talking wasp? About the wasp? <laughs> the oh, the oh, you're gonna sting me and then you're gonna die. Wasps don't do that. <laughs> uh, the, but like, if you had cut out that subplot of them like making an alliance that ended up being nothing, mm-hmm. um, I I think there would be more value. Like, give us more character development for the characters who end up mattering in the end. And cut out yeah. like the weird character development for people who who just end up dying and and none of that build up leads to anything. Mm-hmm. The only dialogue I remember from this movie is the dialogue that screamed, which is when that guy bites that other guy in the neck and screams, "This is real! I can taste you." <laughs> Which is also how it's just what I scream when I enter rooms. Really, is this is real? Um, I mean, at dinner when I was eating, <laughs> I yelled to my ramen, "This is real! I can taste you!" <laughs> Holy shit! The, I yeah, the the shouted dialogue. Yeah, the sound balancing is weird because it's like sort of quiet, 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 really, really loud, quiet. Like watching tr- watching this and trying to have a calm evening was just not happening. And and that girl at the end, like revealing that she, are we gonna spoil this movie? Yeah, yeah. Let's spoil the that. the girl revealing at the end that she's been the killer the whole time, mm-hmm. and basically she does her best death metal performance ever. Like she's the next landmine marathon singer. <laughs> I mean, even that reveal, like by the time it got there, I was so tired that I was like, ah, sure, this might as well happen. It, it was such nonsense, and, like, the entire explanation for that being how it ends up, being that the, the like, you know, the host, that famous, memorable character that will never forget the host. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know the one. Um, also, the whole subplot with the, like, employee of the Jurassic Games trying to take down the Jurassic Games from the inside. Oh, also, yeah. the, boy, oh, their, their secret organization is called the Cavemen because cavemen <laughs> take down dinosaurs. Yeah, but the cavemen historically did not do that. Because cavemen <laughs> and dinosaurs existed at the same time as Kurt Cameron. You know what they should have named him is like the Cold Front. See, we should have been hired to punch up this. Yeah, movie. absolutely. But yeah. the host, like the, somebody asked the host, "Hey, did you know that she killed his family?" And his, all he says is, we were hoping. Like, <laughs> for God's that's sake. That's a lot to, like, bet on. Yeah, it just leave a chance. Like, well, you know, just we, we had high hopes. We were optimistic. Yeah, or like the Ice Age could have been another name for the... Gr- there were so many options they could have gone with aside from the cavemen. Because... I, anyway. Giant comet that blocks out the sun. <laughs> yeah, it sort of makes me think of the, uh, the Creationist Museum in Kentucky. Yeah, they, they could have been called Meteorite. Yeah. Or meteor. Yeah, or falling comet or anything. Anyway. Um anyway. so I, I, I believe we might have exsanguinated um the cold blood from this movie. 
Uh, where? Okay, so I'm looking toward the bottom of the list. So this is written and directed by Ryan Belgart, who also did the movie Gremlin, which we hated. This was him? Yeah. Oh, that explains. So what is up with him that all of his movies are these, like, mockbusters that are a whole bunch of nothing with too much CGI? He's like Rennie Harlan's... He's like he's like Lenny Carlin. Like, he's just this sort of <laughs> homunculus director who... It's so close to being human, and it's just just barely off. Um, okay, so if we're starting toward the bottom with that Gremlin singular from last year... So um, Gremlin is better than this movie because Gremlin says something, albeit incompetently. Yeah, yeah. Gremlin, it's, it's uh, uh, groping toward an idea that it never fully um, realizes, but at least it's kind of toward something instead of just... I would actually put forward, I think Jurassic Games might be one of the most nihilistic movies we've watched for this <laughs> podcast. Like Because it ends with, like, everyone dies and uh, T-Re- here's a T-Rex with a machine gun? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, that's that's actually, that's how I picture the universe is just, not only does nothing matter, here's a T-Rex with a machine gun. Why? Who gives a shit? Thanks for coming out, folks. Man, this movie was so bad. It was, like... it was extremely bad. Um, however, I, I do think it's better than Luna de Miel. Yeah, I'd rather watch mediocre dinosaurs than straight up torture porn. Mm-hmm. So I think this movie has that going for it. Yeah. Yeah. So going between that, honestly, I think Gremlin is better than this because not only that, it also, um, has a ridiculous flashback sequence for, for no reason where it feels like it's like Wishmaster for five seconds for, for no Real purpose, um, so at least it has that going for it. So going by that, I would put uh, the Jurassic Games at number 255 in between Luna Damiel and Gremlin Singular. Man, that is very low. And I think what's a big... I think another thing that's got me frustrated is when I saw the poster for this movie, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. And it failed me on every... <laughs> Can, can yeah. I ask you guys if you'd be interested in a subsection of a, of the list or maybe some kind of notation on the list uh, to let everybody know when you think a movie might be a tax scam? Because <laughs> there's a part of me that really feels like Jurassic Games might, in fact, be oh, man. some kind of tax scam. That's... I believe you're onto something because it was shot on location in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I noticed. There, I, so, I, I actually yeah. uh, went forward at the end of the credits to see where this movie was shot, and there was like a big like filmed in the state of Oklahoma, uh, like tag at the end of the credits. You know, like like everything that's filmed in Georgia has that made in Georgia thing on it. This this had that. Like, it was the start See, of now, Oklahoma's film industry. Let's talk about a good dinosaur movie. Yeah, so the next one we're talking about is uh, Roger Corman's Carnosaur. God damn, I love Carnosaur. It's, it's so good. One of Gene Siskel's favorite films, as I understand it. <laughs> yep. It does say that. that. It's just Gene Siskel yelling, wild card bitches, and leaping out the back of a minivan. Like, it's... I love that he loves Carnosaur, and I don't know why, because, like, I feel like, um, between the two, I tend to agree with Roger Ebert more. 
Well, Siskel, I like Siskel. Uh, I haven't seen that episode of Siskel and Ebert in many years, but um, Siskel's endorsement of the movie was like timid, in fact. Uh, but he did give it a halting thumbs up, uh, as opposed to Ebert's thumbs down. It still counts. Still counts. Um, does, yeah, does it though? I mean, well, and and with with Gene Siskel, all I could think was like the weirdest. Uh, the weirdest arbiter of whether or not Gene Siskel likes a certain horror movie, if it has children in peril, he sort of gives it a thumbs down out of hand. And Carnosaur, I think, I okay. Well, so so Quincy, what was your what was your take on Carnosaur? Just off top, um, it's it's amazing. It's the exact kind of movie when you're like, what's your taste in film? I think I'm just gonna say Carnosaur <laughs> from now on. Um, I was out at a bar with some friends the other night, and the question was posed to this uh, new guy in the group, what are you into? And I think the correct answer is Carnosaur. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Like, it's, um, because I, I, I think we only recently did our first Roger Corman movie in the entirety of the time that we've been doing this podcast for the last year, and I feel like uh, Carnosaur... Because immediately I was like, okay, 90s Roger Corman. Is this, like, late career Roger Corman? Like, was he sort of doing a, you know, sort of parody of himself at this point? And the answer is yes, and the answer is also fuck yeah. Yeah, so this is an official mockbuster because they made it to beat Jurassic Park in theaters. So it came out a month before Jurassic Park came out. They also cast Laura Dern's mom as the villain of the movie. That's a power move. What a power move. Oh, oh my God. And also, uh, so I was watching this with friend of the show, Kyle, uh, who pointed out that Alien 3 came out a year before, almost a year to the date before. So all of the dinosaur birth scenes are definitely nods to Alien 3. Oh, oh shit. I hadn't even considered that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the most, if you like X movie, you'll love Carnosaur. I mean, you'll love Carnosaur anyway. Like, I this movie, I feel like... Um, so we should talk about the acting in Carnosaur. <laughs> um, it's great. Next question. So we should talk... No, yeah. So the acting in Carnosaur, I feel like uh, the main sort of guy with... Um, now, there are a lot of cowboy hats happening in this film. Um, so many yeah, I think what I think one caveat to Carnosaur is that you'll love this movie if you're not worried about remembering a character's name. <laughs> yeah, because there are none. Because well, because because there are four hundred people in this movie. Because yeah, yeah. quite the un, quite the ensemble piece. Yeah, because there has to be such a high body count, like like something like forty people die. So mm-hmm. you've got so many characters and so with the ex- yeah. with the exception of maybe the character whose name is doc who is sort of the lead guy you will not know anybody else's name no yeah i think i just started it's referring more to like, anybody oh in hey that's quentin howard <laughs> right I, I think i think i just started referring to anybody who's wearing a cowboy hat as a muldoon like <laughs> noun there's no one character that you can kind of, i mean aside from maybe doc that you really feel like you can sort of latch onto it's it's literally just like um the uh the flea circus that john hammond talks about in jurassic park only if it were a full movie that was also mimicking jurassic park 
So I'm looking at IMDb right now, and um, most of the characters are named after birds. Huh. There's Anne Thrush, Sheriff Fowler, uh, Fallon, which is just Falcon, um, Slim Fryer as like fried chicken, uh, Doctor Sterling Raven, Swanson, Peregrine, Susan Mallard, Lieutenant Colonel Wren. They're all just like the, the like the screenwriters like these are placeholder names. I'll remember to fix them later, <laughs> and and you know. Uh, Corman bursts into the oven and says, no time, we're shooting tomorrow. There is that one scene after Doc and Thrush first meet where he asks what her name is and she says Thrush and he's like, ha ha, what a weird name. Uh, <laughs> so I do remember that, but yeah, character names are not something I think you as an audience member are expected to keep up with. Oh, certainly yeah. not. Although I do also love that um, not only did Gene Siskel give the film like a tentative thumbs up, not only did Roger Ebert give it a thumbs down, he named it the worst movie of 1993. <laughs> and also, like, w- a- apparently at several points uh, after uh, they rated this movie, um, he just brings this up whenever he's disagreeing with Siskel on a thing. Where he's like, yeah, well, you liked Carnosaur. So, <laughs> like, just to completely dismiss his opinions out of hand. Um, I honestly, I, I, for the first time ever, I think I agree with Siskel over Ebert. This movie has no illusions about the kind of movie it's trying to be. And it's like, it's also a, but the government is bad, man. It's a very like the crazy style to the point where when the government sets the, um, trailer on fire, the Alfred E. Newman's what me worry poster is like. (laughs) languidly burning and you feel like the director is looking at you going see what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. i'm being very artistic it's a very um oh yeah on, on a on a smaller scale it's a very return of the living dead kind of ending mm, uh yeah. where it's yeah. like the heroes manage to to sort of get the the situation in hand but the government just comes and wipes everybody out anyway which it's kind of like, I I think you could read that as cynical, um, and definite and kind of a bummer. But I also think, you know, it's trying to say that it's trying to say like, the government doesn't even care, man. They'll just kill, even if there's a cure. Uh, so, you know, it's it makes a statement. Yeah. So does the organization. Does the organizing device of the countdown and percentage till full in- infection help you or hinder your uh, enjoyment of this movie? Uh, it's infuriating <laughs> because <laughs> because it's uh, the countdown is or the count up is like infection parts per million, and then it gives a percentage. Like, don't say parts per million and then give a percentage. <laughs> That's not how that works. I did that just like drive you crazy because I didn't even notice that, and I think if I had, it's I, I would I would go to sleep thinking about that. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, it. I think it just it's just all these random ass numbers yeah. at the bottom of the screen. I'm like, I don't know what that means. It goes to show that the movie is like complete pseudoscience, and that's fine, and and maybe mm-hmm. that's the the point. But yeah, like it's it's just gibberish at the bottom. Uh, even even 
knowing in the opening credits that they do know the letters uh, that are, you know, of the different uh, parts of a DNA strand. Uh, but yeah, that, that stuff, like I, I kept noticing the parts per million thing and then it was a percentage and just being like, I'm just gonna let that go. I'm just, I'm just gonna let that go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just enjoy the film. So I've been watching a lot of, um, 1950s bad science fiction movies. And like all of those movies have just like the first 30 minutes is pilots talking about flying jet planes and like rattling off numbers and percentages was there a point in american history where space travel and airplane flight was so fascinating that audiences actually wanted this or has it always been a pseudoscience pad the running time of this movie thing i think it's definitely the latter and and i'm sure like screenwriters filmmakers directors also probably had some kind of illusion in their head where it was like oh we're doing character development. We're like, we're people are going to get to know these pilots before they're inevitably killed by a giant armadillo, you know? Um, And I, to some degree that also happens in this movie where it's, you know, people sitting, even though they are like a food manufacturer, some kind, some kind yeah. of food development yeah. company. Um, they're in like the sounds the right. war room from Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in a meeting talking about blueberry pie. <laughs> oh my god! I I see. I, I think I've actually. Um, I was puzzling over it, and I was like, I, I figured out. Uh, Carnosaur is like if the. Um, so the video from Jurassic Park where they're, they're sitting with uh, Mr. DNA, like dinosaurs, this is like if the production company that made that for uh, Jurassic Park was able to make their own impersonation of Jurassic Park. <laughs> like the puppets are, f- uh, honestly, the puppets are fucking outstanding in They're Carnosaur. so good. Like it's, oh, it's so perfect. Like this is exactly the kind of cheesy puppet you want in a movie called Carnosaur. And the forced perspective shots and the like remote control bobcat that they use to fight the carnosaur with. Oh, I'd forgotten about the bobcat. Yeah, it's and, un- surprisingly competent. And also, you can tell that they only had enough money to rent one bobcat, and they finagled the bobcat rental place to let them shoot it in the parking lot of the bobcat rental place. And they had only rented it for one day, so they had to return it at sun sun up. Oh, so, yeah. like, you can tell one of them is cardboard. And one of them is the real Bobcat. And in certain shots, you can see the actors just kind of sitting in like a cardboard cutout of a Bobcat, like shuffling a la Fred Flintstone. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful piece of film. Yeah, honestly, like I, I feel like this isn't even a guilty pleasure. It's just a legitimate, honest pleasure is the movie Carnosaur. So, so does Doc Smith have some kind of like post-traumatic stress tragic backstory where like he was a doctor but like so like in his mobile home he's got the do no harm written in big marker over his medical license or like is that just left to headcanon and like or that was in an earlier draft and then they ran out of time to shoot that oh that sounds right yeah i i i'm sure there are plenty of 
reasonable explanations as to like how he got the name Doc and like why that's there and all that stuff. Um, I don't think the movie is particularly interested in (laughs) answering any of those questions though. Yeah. No reason is, is needed. It's just, let's show you a really cool dinosaur. Uh, well, I mean, if uh, oddly enough, both of the movies we've done so far are nihilistic, but one of I like one of them more than I like the other one. Is yeah. it practical effects? Is that the linchpin? Hmm. I think one is. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think yeah. it's tone too. Like tone oh, yeah. is so important. Like Jurassic Games is so like deadly serious like there's there's no feeling of in jurassic games of winking winking to the audience at any point even though like the host is supposed to be this like over the top character he never really feels like it you know Hmm. it feels like we're just supposed to like root for the the innocent guy to win the thing and there's no undercurrent to it whereas carnosaur there's undercurrent running all through it like like Diane Ladd is doing all this evil stuff and creating this virus that makes women give birth to dinosaur eggs because she thinks dinosaurs are cool. Yeah, and dinosaurs are better than yeah. people. So smart dinosaurs deserve the earth. Yeah, that's her whole that che- deal. That checks out. Which is so silly that it circles around to being great. Yeah, I no, totally because especially with um Jurassic games, I think they're both empty, but one of them floats, if that makes sense. <laughs> like at, at at the very least with Carnosaur, it's it's also nihilistic and not really about anything, and it's also mean-spirited, but it's mean-spirited in a it's mean-spirited in a way where I feel like I'm in on a joke where um Jurassic I don't know what it is like uh, honestly, Jurassic Games has a lot in common with Jurassic World in that I think it has a deep level of disdain for the people watching it. Like, it dislikes you specifically for, for selecting this movie on Netflix. And Jurassic World, I mean, Jurassic World, like, had the same thing for me where it's like, if you liked the original Jurassic Park, this movie thinks you're a dick, and it's going to tell you that over and over again. And honestly, with Carnosaur, I never felt like either the director or Roger Corman were sort of glaring at me going like, aren't you an asshole for watching Carnosaur? It's mostly like, hi, welcome to my movie Carnosaur. Are you sitting comfortably? Here's a bag of chips. Here's some wild bullshit and some puppets and a lot of cowboy hats. Don't, don't worry about um, remembering anybody's name or what anybody is really trying to do because we've got this giant dinosaur puppet we'd like to share with you. Uh, There's a, there's a lot of the Roger Corman sensibility, which is you can kind of imagine Roger Corman just kind of like standing right out of frame pointing to whatever's happening saying, can you believe this shit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that goes, honestly, that goes a long way. If you can sort of picture the, yeah, Roger Corman specifically sort of making the get a load of this guy hands. Yeah. So where do we want to put this on the list? Hmm. Okay. So if we're, uh, I I would say I'm, I'm starting for some reason toward the middle of the list. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I, okay, okay. So the movie I absolutely refuse to put it below is The Neon Demon. I liked Carnosaur more than The Neon Demon. I think that's a fair, and and it feels very akin to Raw Force in that bananas, let's just make a movie and go hard on all the weird stuff in it. Yeah, although definitely, I think, honestly, for me, 
the ceiling. I do not think Carnosaur is better than Hello, uh, Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2. Um, largely because these are both movies that I feel like more people need to see. But I feel like Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2, I mean, even as... Th th this is the funny thing, right? So Carnosaur came out to sort of um, stunt on the movie Jurassic Park and try to do something cool a, a month before it came out. Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2 as a sequel to Prom Night, the fact that it had fuck all to do with the original Prom Night and decided to just completely lose its mind and do something insane... Uh, I think I respect that slightly more than let's try to steal a little bit of Jurassic Park's thunder and give people dinosaurs a month before that movie comes out. Okay, here's my counter-argument to that. Mm -hmm. um, Hello, Mary, we're living in this wonderful era of 80s movies being uncovered with the big resurgence in VHS collecting mm -hmm. and Blu-ray re-releases. Hello, Mary Lou is getting its just desserts right now it's on shutter it's like pretty prominent mm. carnosaur doesn't have a current dvd release it's out of print i don't know if it's ever been on blu-ray and boy howdy this movie needs to be like widely released again you know that's a pretty good point all right so purely for giving a, a push to carnosaur you want to put it above uh, hello mary lou prom night too yeah, but I'm looking at Killing of a Sacred Deer, and I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a, a child, but I'd r much rather watch dinosaurs <laughs> fighting um, construction equipment than that stone-cold weird bummer of a movie. Oh, yeah. Matt, have you seen Killing of a Sacred Deer? I. It's been years and years, if I have. I can't, can't actually remember. I do... Uh, it's getting remade apparently, or it did get remade. Whoa, really? Or is or is the 2017 one the actual movie? That's oh, okay. Then I'm thinking that, of I'm thinking of a remake? I'm thinking of a different movie. I thought it was a remake. Um, no, I haven't seen it. I think I'm thinking of the Deer Hunter. <laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> which I have some, seen. I, see, it's funny you say that because I I frequently for some reason confuse Killing of a Sacred Deer with Reindeer Games with Ben Affleck. And every time I see it pop up on our list, I'm like, wait, what the fuck is that doing on here? And then I have to... <laughs> Why did we put right okay. into your game? I have not list? seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I have seen The Deer Hunter. That is where I <laughs> am getting mixed up. <laughs> However, how have we not done The Deer Hunter for this podcast? Um, see, Quincy, I, I, would, I, I would agree. Like, I think Killing of a Sacred Deer, it's meant to be upsetting and weird in a way that Carnosaur is not. But I, I feel like, yeah, if we're going with the Friday night test of, you know, you've got your tombstone pizza, you've got a two liter of mug root beer, you're watching motherfucking Carnosaur if it's between that and Killing of a Sacred Deer. Because Killing, was, Killing of a Sacred Deer, like, that's kind of, um, you watch it once, and then you're kind of good. Yeah. Now, which has better puppets? Hellraiser 2 or Carnosaur? Ooh... Oh, shit. I don't know. That's... What do you think? Hellraiser 2 has definitely, like, more of a showcase. Like, let like the, the crew were like, let me show you my abilities. Mm -hmm. But those... That scene where the sheriff cracks that chicken egg open in Carnosaur and there's a little baby T-Rex... Oh, is... yeah. My heart. However, you do have this. I mean, you do at least have more stop motion in Hellraiser 2. Although, yeah, I feel like between the two of them, gun to my head, I would say that Hellbound Hellraiser 2, it has 
I mean, obviously, Roger Ebert did refer to it as, like, a special effects demo reel by a perverted special effects man um, that could be shot in any order. But I... Hmm. Okay. I think Carnosaur has more fun effects, but Hell, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 has more sort of, like, serious, like, no, goddammit, I'm a special effects guy. I've made um, flowers and fingers sprouting out of um, octopus tentacles, and I really need to show you that. Um, so... I feel like between that, I would give the edge to Hellraiser too. Yeah. Um. So underneath Hellraiser two is Low Life and Creep and the remake of it. I really love Low Life, but and I hate to say this, I feel good giving a push to Carnosaur for just sort of bumping it a little bit up the list that it's right below Hellraiser two. You could, you know, like it's sort of it's a kind of a lost gem. Um. And also, it's a movie called Carnosaur, produced by Roger Corman, that features puppets. I mean, it's everything it says on the tin. There's also five Carnosaur movies. Whoa, no shit? Yeah. But, well, it's it's hard to, to keep track of, because after Carnosaur 3, they lost the Carnosaur license, because it was actually a novel. Oh. Uh, so the rest of them are uh, Carnosaur in spirit, but, but like the malto meal carnosaur wait a minute wait a minute was the novel carnosaur uh trying to crassly cash in on jurassic park in the same way that the movie was trying to cash in on jurassic park okay here's the bombshell Mm -hmm. the novel carnosaur came out before michael crichton's novel jurassic park and it is also about genetically modified dinosaurs but it is a splatterpunk novel not a highbrow science fiction bestseller. I mean, the book Jurassic Park sucks. Is the thing. <laughs> it's it's very it's very bad. I, and maybe that's just because I don't really care for Michael Crichton's sort of luddite like, bah, science is bad sort of thing. But anyway, that's sort of beside the point. Um, so yeah, so I feel pretty good about uh, putting uh, Carnosaur at our new number one hundred and twelve uh, above Ryan Prowse Low Life and below Hellbound Hellraiser two. Right. Um, do we have time for a listener request? I think so. Do you want to do Blackenstein? I kind of want to do Blackenstein. Matt, do you mind doing Blackenstein? Uh, sure. I don't think I've seen Blackenstein. Oh, man. Well, let me tell you, it's great. <laughs> it's it's pretty much exactly what you imagine it is. So, at Dangerous Commie requested us to rank Blackenstein. Blackenstein is a uh, is a Frankenstein movie where Eddie, a wounded Vietnam vet, gets turned into a Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. It's um. So as as a as a black exploitation movie, like I haven't really seen a lot of black exploitation because I'm always sort of like, oh, I don't know that that's my purview. Like I I don't want to like I'm, I sort of. I think redneck exploitation I'm good with, and and like certain kinds of exploitation movies I'm I'm well down for. But I feel like I get nervous when I get to black exploitation because I'm like, this isn't really made for me. Like if I appreciate or watch it, I kind of feel like I might not be necessarily invited to the party on that one. Yeah, I kind of feel weird too. But like, I think it's important to remember that. Uh, some black exploitation is like actually directed by people of color, and it was actually a way to make a film in the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. And some of it is cashing in, is actually being exploitative to audiences and saying like, "Hey, give me money." 
But uh, Blackenstein it, owns bones. It is also called Blackenstein, and it fucking rules. And also, I love, I love that in the notes you just have "fuck you, Malcolm." Just because a woman turns you down, you can't turn her boyfriend into a Frankenstein. Okay, no. Here's the deal. So uh, uh-huh. the white mad scientist is doing a limb transplant on Eddie because mm-hmm. he's a wounded Vietnam veteran, and um, Malcolm is the lab assistant who's. Um, in love with Eddie's girlfriend, who's also a lab assistant to this uh, white Dr. Frank. Mm-hmm. And um, Malcolm gives Eddie the the crazy Frankenstein juice because he tries to hit on Eddie's girlfriend, and she's like, no thanks. And that's what turns Eddie into Blackenstein, <laughs> is that he drinks the crazy Frankenstein juice uh, when he was supposed to get the regular... Uh, limb transplant juice. Man, you explain the plot of Blackenstein like that, and it sounds. I, I I promise you, it's a lot. It's like it's more ridiculous than than even that sounds. Because like once this movie is off to the races, it's some of the most ridiculous shit I've ever seen. And well, uh, and it's all like straight up like hot dog link disemboweling scenes where he's just pulling guts out of people left and right yes yes a thousand times yes um so i feel goddamn i feel pretty good about huh all right so if we were going to put blackenstein on the list what would be a comparable movie would we start with like love it first bite see i'm thinking like abby is the most appropriate because it's another exploitation movie and it's definitely you know you take the white Hollywood movie and you do a, um, an African American version of that mm-hmm. but Abby is way better than Blackenstein yeah I wait I don't think we have Abby on the list do we yeah it's number um, oh shit we did do Abby yeah it's number 97 um, actually 90 something yeah yeah um, so I feel like Abby is probably better than this <clears throat> yeah so um I would say, actually, your initial reaction of putting it down at the bottom uh, is probably fair. It's like, oh, I don't know, um, hardware good? Yeah, yeah, mean-spirited, kind of, um, it's sort of like a 7-Eleven hot dog of a movie that you just kind of, you know, shotgun it quickly in the parking lot before anybody can see you watching it. And then it's the only problem. Oh, that's it. That's all I had. You ate a hot dog. Yeah. Uh, Yes. The only problem with that is sword in the claw is under hardware. And that movie has a man with iron lion. claws. (laughs) That is a fact. So, all right. So iron lion claws or Blackenstein. Uh, Matt, what do you think? (laughs) Have you gotten to see uh, the sword in the claw yet? No, but I think I'll take Iron Lion Claws over Blackenstein. I think I'll take that. That's pretty safe. Uh, Yeah, so I'd say, like, right beneath the Sword in the Claw for, like, bugfuck 70s movies. Mm -hmm. Above the sort of of self-conscious bugfuckery of Pool Party Massacre. Yeah, it's very, like, uh, yeah, like, authentic 42nd Street always goes before Second Wave. um, Homage. Homage. Yeah, original before homage. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like that's fair. So yeah, so coming in at our new uh, 155, under the sword and the claw, but above pool party massacre is Blackenstein. And also thank you, Becca, for requesting that. I had a fucking ball watching this. 
Matt, thank you for coming on and watching uh, some... Well, they were movies. They were movies, and they had dinosaurs. That, I can say. <laughs> it's the best thing. It's the best that can be said of, of Jurassic, uh, Jurassic Games. Uh, where can our listeners find you online, and also all of the uh, exciting and amazing stuff that you've been putting out? So I have created a bit of a clearinghouse for all of that stuff. You can find links to everything that I do, my other podcasts, my books, my comics, and all my social media stuff at mattdwilson.net again that's mattdwilson.net that all the links are there or you can just follow me on twitter and probably see links to everything i do as it's made uh that's just at the matt d wilson on twitter excellent and we are on twitter at rank and Vilecast, where we are posting something like all day, every day. <laughs> Certainly something. And then also over over on Instagram at Just Rank and Vile and on Tumblr at Just Rank and Vile. Uh, if you have any requests, like Becca, who uh, requested Blackenstein and thus completely improved my week last week, uh, you're going to want to send re- uh, movie requests uh, for us to do over at rankandvilecast at gmail.com or, you know, just drop it in the ask box on Tumblr. Um, we're also over on Stitcher now, so if you use Stitcher to listen to podcasts, that is a thing you can do, but otherwise we're also on iTunes. Um, if you like the nonsense we perpetrate with dinosaurs, uh, you uh, should go on and leave us a five-star review over on iTunes. If not, that you know, do that or don't. You know, it's cool, too. Uh, don't forget, you can still get 20% off uh, lapel pins at lapelyed.com. They do have a suburban commando hulk hogan pin right now uh that you definitely need on your jacket or hat so oh, man. Um, i was i was totally down have for that on us just use code rank and vile at checkout see i was totally down for suburban commando and then remembered that that was hulk hogan and i was like i feel like hulk hogan might clash with the rest of my enamel pins listen brother he ain't getting <laughs> money from it so it's just fine sort of reasonably well let me tell you something um, but yeah, that's uh, that's all I got. You got anything else? Have a great week, y'all. Have a great week, folks.